Brian and Catherine, they've been a part of the leadership team that helped plant the river, which is led by Sean and Laura Richmond. Some of you know them. The river was planted in the fall by CFCF, the same church that planted the harbor. Uh, they, Brian is from Norfolk, Massachusetts, but they currently live in Waltham, which is where uh, the river is planted. So it's really fun to have them. One of the things that's great about our movement of churches is uh, we try and hold on to this I- idea of walking as family. We really want to walk together as family. So it's fun to have them with us because it almost feels like a, a cousin or something is coming and, and getting to be with us. So it's pretty cool. Brian is an electrical engineer at Hologic. I wanted to make sure I pronounced that right. Uh, Hologic. And, uh, but he also he has a really powerful testimony. So maybe at another time you can... I don't know, pin him down and talk to him about it, but about being an avowed atheist and how someone in his workplace actually helped lead him to Jesus. So we're, we're really grateful for that guy, whoever he is. And uh, he actually, he helps teach in our training schools, both down in the city and then also up here in Navigate and does a phenomenal job. Uh, there's especially some rave reviews about a teaching on postmodernism that he did this past spring. So he's going to be kind of wrapping up our series on James this morning. And so, Brian, if you could come forward, uh, I'm going to pray for you, and then you can go to it. Cool. Well, Father, just thank you for Brian. It's, uh, it's really an honor to have him here with us. We're blessed. I thank you that there is something in him that we need. We need it this morning, God. And I ask that you would give him a piece to share with us, that he would be able to be himself, and uh, that all of, yeah, just who you've created him to be, all of his uniquenesses and the things, the life lessons that you've taught him, uh, we pray that it would come out so clearly. Um, and God, we want to respond as a people to say yes to whatever it is you're speaking, God. We receive it. We receive it, Lord. And so we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You can Amen. Give, him, give him a round of applause there. Yeah. So back when Neil kicked off this series in May, I listened to the podcast for The Harbor so I could catch up on this, on this series. Uh, when he kicked off the series back in May, he talked about some findings from a survey that he'd taken of, of you at this church. And in the survey, he asked three questions. And one of them was if any of you felt like you had acted hypocritically. Uh, you'd acted in a way that was inconsistent with what you profess to believe. And the response you may recall, was an overwhelming yes, something like 90%, I think. Um, And I certainly count myself in among that 90%. Uh, We say and do things so often that are at odds with what we profess to believe. We, We don't do what we say. Hudson Taylor, who some of you may know, was this great missionary to China, wrote this once. He said, we are not only to renounce evil, but to manifest the truth. Bring it to the front, speak the truth, live the truth. We tell people that the world is vain. Let our lives manifest that it is so. We tell them that our home is above, that all these things are transitory. Does our dwelling look like it? Oh, to live consistent lives. So why? Why don't we live consistent lives 
Why do we say one thing and do another? Now, biblically speaking, I can actually think of, of several reasons. I can think of three, but today I'm only going to talk about one. And it's the one that we find in our text today. So please turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to James chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 22, and we'll finish off in verse 27. So James chapter 1, starting in verse 22. Listen carefully with me to what God's Word says. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself righteous and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, at first blush, on the surface, this is a pretty easy text to understand. We can really divide it up into two separate chunks. In this first chunk, James is exhorting his readers. He's telling them, do what the Word says. He says, merely listening to the Word isn't enough. We need to do it. Accepting the Word and doing it go hand in hand. And you've probably heard that a lot through this series. We need to let the Word have its intended impact on our lives. It's not enough to just pass the theology exam, right, and, and know what we believe. We have to do it. And James even says this later, right, in, in chapter 2, verse 19. He says, even demons know there's only one God. But that, that doesn't mean that they've accepted it, that they're, that they're doing it, right? It's not enough to just pass the test. So if we listen to the word, but we don't do what it says, we're deceiving or deluding ourselves, James says. Now, how, do, how does that exactly work? I think of it somewhat as like someone who knows the dangers of smoking cigarettes. They know it's bad for them. They could point to all the studies, but they still smoke, all the while thinking that they're somehow in a better position than a smoker who doesn't know that it's bad for them. But they're really deluded there. They're deceived. It's, it doesn't matter that they just know that smoking is bad for them. It matters that they actually act upon that knowledge. And we're given this illustration that contrasts two types of people. At first, we have one who doesn't do what the Word says. And he is one who looks in a mirror and then walks away and he forgets what he's like. And this person is contrasted with somebody who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, and does what the Word says. He doesn't forget, the text says. And this person, the one who does it, says James, is blessed in what he does. And this should sound familiar to some of us. In the Gospels, Jesus says precisely this. If you look in, in Luke eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hear the Word of God and obey it. And that parable, he closes the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 7, He's talking about the wise and the foolish builders. He says, He who hears my words and puts them into practice is like the wise builder. He builds his house on the rock and it withstands the elements. 
But the one who hears the word and doesn't put them into practice, he's a foolish builder. His house crumbles and falls. And so just as in Jesus' parable, and just as in James's text today, these, these two type of people that are contrasted, they have one thing in common, but two things that are different about them. What they have in common is that they've both listened to the word. They've attended the same lecture. They've read the same book. They could pass the test. They've been to the same seminar. But in contrast, first off, there's this effort that they put into looking and hearing. The first person looks in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. It implies a, a glance, a simple acknowledgement. You look in the mirror, oh, my hair's on fire, and then you just, you just walk away. You don't act on it. You forget that. But the second person looks intently. It implies sustained effort. There's no mention of even walking away here. There's more than just a glance. He continues in this. He continues to look into the Word to do it. And the second point of contrast, we notice the results of their efforts. The first person looks and forgets. He's self-deceived, deluded. The second person looks and remembers, and he is blessed. Now pay attention to what James means here by remembering. You'll see in, in verse 25, James contrasts you know, remembering or forgetting and doing. This person doesn't forget what he's heard, but he does it. And you find that in Scripture, remembering often means much more than just being able to recall facts, like a phone number or somebody's name or something like that. It means bringing something to the forefront of your mind, focusing your attention on something and acting on it. You see this even in Scripture, right? Genesis chapter 8, the story of Noah and the flood. The text says God remembered Noah. And what does that mean? doesn't mean God forgot Noah and he was hanging around with the angels like, oh my goodness, Noah, I forgot, I flooded the earth, I have to do something about that, right? No, it means he acted upon something. He brought to the forefront of his mind Noah's situation. He sent the wind to dry the earth uh, to rescue Noah. Uh, in Jeremiah 31, God promises, you know, I will remember their sins no more. He will remember our sins no more. What does that actually mean? It doesn't mean he's going to forget. God doesn't forget that when I was eight years old, I lied to my mom about stealing something from a grocery store or something like that. He doesn't forget the fact of it, but God doesn't act on that. I'm not judged for that sin. It's not at the forefront of his mind. It's not something that his attention is on. He's forgotten it. Even in the New Testament, Paul is told to remember the poor in Galatians 2. It doesn't mean he just remembers, oh yeah, there's poor people out there. Okay, I've remembered the poor. No, it means he, he serves them. He remembers that there are disadvantaged people out there, people who are in need, and he acts upon that. And so here James means remember in that same sense, to focus on something and to act. To act upon the word that we've received, the word that we've heard. But what is that word? Now, what is that word? What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to remember? In a word, we're supposed to remember the word. But what is that? What does James mean by that? By not merely listening to the word. What is the word? Well, we pick up a clue in this text, in verses 23 through 25, in that contrast between the forgetful person and the person who remembers. 
the word is interchanged with the perfect law that gives freedom. See, those two are, are used in the same way. And if we look elsewhere in James, we see some other uses. If we go back to verse 21, James tells the readers, humbly accept the word planted in us, which can save us. Go back a little further to verse 18. James explains how God chose to give us birth through the word of truth. This might remind us of that notion of being born again, having new life through God's revelation to us, through what he's done. So if we look at this as a whole, in James we see the word is is pretty broad in terms of referring to God's revelation to humankind. It's the word through which God gives us new life. It's the word that can save us. It's the word that instructs us and commands us. It's a law. If I were to paraphrase it, you could say, you know, remember what God has revealed to us. Remember the word of God, his revelation, his self-disclosure, what he's done, what he will do. Remember that. Now, if we move on to verses 26 and 27, James once again gives a description of two types of people, one who's deceived and one who acts on the word. In this second chunk of the text, James describes true religion for us. And he starts by noting that false or worthless religion is characterized by those who don't keep a tight rein on their tongues. True religion, religion that's accepted by God, is to look after orphans and widows and their distress and to keep oneself pure, keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And this should ring a lot of bells for us, right? I mean, Neil and his staff were very clever to choose this text as the last text, something out of James chapter 1, to wrap up this Just Do It series. Because we've heard this all before through the Just Do It series, right? These are the major themes that we encounter in James. They set the agenda for the rest of the letter. Taming of the tongue, we talked about that. That's in chapter 3. Our faith and deeds working together, not just hearing, but doing the word at the end of chapter 2. Caring for the disadvantaged, not showing favoritism. The beginning of chapter 2. And guarding oneself from worldly corruption. These are the major themes that go through James. And we need to be careful that word religion is kind of a, it's a dirty word to us as Christians, right? We we don't really like that word too much. And the word, all it really means in this text is an expression of devotion to God. Uh, It would be fair, in, in my opinion, it would be better to translate this word as worship or piety or devotion, right? True devotion to God is characterized by this. Don't miss what's behind that, that, that statement. These things, taming the tongue, caring for widows, not getting corrupted by the world, they're counted as worship, as devotion to God. It's an expression, it's an evidence of our love for God, that we've accepted his word, that we love him. And notice also what James does not say. He doesn't say people that God accepts are those who care for widows and orphans. That would mean that your acceptance by God is based on what you do. But that wouldn't be consistent with the gospel. Our acceptance by God is based on, what, on Jesus and what he has done. People that God accepts are those who believe in his son. 
So let me summarize now. I've kind of gone through the text a little bit quickly. Let me summarize what James is saying in this passage. He's saying merely hearing and understanding God's revelation to us, that isn't enough. We must remember what God has revealed to us. And part of remembering God's word entails doing it. Responding to it. uh, Letting it affect your life. And this response demonstrates and expresses true devotion to God in a way that's pleasing to him. If I, had to, if I had just one word to summarize this passage, it would be remember. Remember, with all that remembering entails here for James, which is no less than three things. It means you've heard something, something's been revealed to you. It means that this revelation is in f- the front of your mind, that it's the center of your attention. It's not just in the periphery somewhere. And it means that this revelation is driving you to action, that there's outward evidence of the fact that you are remembering something. Not many of you people here know me, but how would you know if I loved my wife? Right? You'd, you'd see my face light up. When I saw her, I'd give her a big hug, I'd give her a kiss, maybe I'd bring her flowers, that sort of thing. Right? You see the evidence of the fact that I'm in love with her. I act upon what I remember. Oh, my wife is beautiful. I love her. She's a wonderful person, right? And I, it's, it's in the front of my mind that I act on it. And so that basic imperative here, this basic command that James gives to remember, it's all over the scriptures. It is everywhere. As you read through your Bible, we're always told to remember, to remember and there are so many examples, I'll only give a couple, but in Deuteronomy alone, in that book alone, the Israelites are told to remember something 15 times. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Remember what God did to Pharaoh. Remember how God led you through the desert. Remember how God punished you for your disobedience. Remember, remember, remember. The whole notion of the holidays that are set up in the Old Testament, Passover and booths and all of that, It was to remember. It was to remember who God is and what he's done. In the New Testament, Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, remember, you were once alienated from God. Paul reminds the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15 of the gospel he preached to them. In Peter's second epistle, he stresses that he's making every effort to make sure the church remembers the gospel. Again and again and again, we're told in Scripture, and right now here in James, we're told to remember. Why? Well, simply put, it's because we forget. We forget. All the time, nearly every hour of every day, we forget. We're people who look at ourselves in the mirror, and we forget. We hear a truth, we're revealed something, and we forget. And this is one of the reasons why we live inconsistent lives. Let me ask, and don't, don't raise your hands, but how many of you remember what the sermon was last week? What was the scripture? Have you read it since? How about what was preached last month? More importantly, how have you acted differently because of the sermon you heard? How many times have you turned it over in your mind and thought about it? How many of you, you've taken a class, you've read the word, you've felt conviction or encouragement rise up in you? What happens next? 
I mean, maybe you have a notebook somewhere filled with the truths of God and all this wisdom in these classes you've been to. Maybe you have some great sermons on your iPod that you've listened to. What happens next? Do you, do you dwell on it? Meditate on it? Search the scriptures about it? Pray it? Turn it over in your mind? How deeply does it occupy your thought life? Or how quickly does it fade away? Sunday at dinner. Wow! Neil preached a dynamite sermon today. It was about our faith and our deeds and how they go hand in hand and we need to, to do the word of God and that the evidences our love for him and our devotion to him. It was just fantastic. If you go forward 24 hours to dinner Monday night, is anything different in your life? Are you still thinking about that? Or have you become the person that James is talking about here? You've heard and you've understood something's been revealed to you. You've seen your face in the mirror, but you haven't remembered You haven't acted on it. It's not at the forefront of your mind. Or how many times has God come through for you? You've been in a trial, in a situation, it seems hopeless. You don't know what to do. You need provision, a word, something. And God, as God always is, is faithful. And he delivers. He comes through. And thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. And yet, a day later, a week later, a month later, you're in another trial. And you're wondering if God even cares. Is he even there? Does he even hear me? You forget. You forget what's been revealed to you. You forget God's word. And so, in a way, I could end here, right, with this simple injunction, this command. Hey, remember, remember, be blessed, remember what God has revealed. But before we remember anything else, we have to remember the thing, the supreme thing, the thing upon which everything else rests, the word of God, God's revelation, that we must never forget. This is the thing from which everything else flows. All of scripture points to this, everything hangs on it. If you get this right, everything else lines up and falls into place. The word of God that gives us new birth, that can save us, that instructs us, that blesses us. Before we do anything else, we must remember the word, the one who is the word. We have to remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. That while we were God's enemies, while we were against God with our backs turned to him, He sent his own son to live the holy life that we should have lived and die the sinner's death that we should have died. That we're saved by God's grace. That we are loved and accepted by God, not by what we do, but by what Jesus has done. And I made a point of clarifying what James meant by religion in this text for a reason. Religion is performance-based. Do this and be accepted. Perform this way and then you're right with God. But that's not Christianity. That's not the gospel. The gospel is grace-based. You are accepted. It's been done. Now you act accordingly. It's not our achievement. We don't achieve our salvation. It's achieved for us. Jesus did it once and for all. He died and rose again to redeem us, to restore us to God. And if you try 
to do any of these things in James that you've heard today or, or through this series without the gospel as your foundation, you'll fail. You'll become prideful when you're performing really well. Ultimately thinking yourself superior to others. You're achieving it. You're doing it. You're getting your salvation. You're obeying God. And now it's easy to play fast and loose with your tongue and maybe slander others because you're better than them. You're doing better than them. It's easy to disregard other people because you're, you're better than them. Right? Well, it's their own fault that they're down and out right now. They should have done this, this, and this. I was obedient. And you become polluted by the world because you've fallen into the world's system of achievement-based salvation. Do this right and get your reward. Act this way and now God owes you. Or, without the gospel as your foundation, you'll be crushed. You'll be crushed and disheartened when you're performing poorly. You'll realize that you'll never be good enough. And so you have to put others down or boast about yourself with your tongue. So at least you're better than somebody else. At least I'm not as bad as that guy. You'll need to play favorites. Hang around with the super Christians or the celebrities, whatever it is, so you can vicariously sort of get some of the good that they have. You're just as corrupted by the world systems again. You can't remember what James is saying without the gospel as your foundation. You want to tame your tongue? You start with the gospel. Maybe you're around some gossipers at the water cooler or wherever that might be in your life, and you want to join in the gossip with your own little juicy tidbit about person X. Why? What's behind that? Well, maybe you want to seem special to those people. You want to be accepted or loved. Or maybe you want to demonstrate that you're better than person X. And so look at this awful thing that they did that I heard. You want to elevate yourself above them, be accepted, be loved. Not if you remember the gospel. Because of the gospel, you know that you are accepted and loved beyond what you ever dared to hope. By God, by God himself, the one who spoke you to in, into, into existence, who gave you breath and life. You are loved. And because of the gospel, you know that Jesus gave his life for person X. That person is cherished and loved by God. So how could you join into that gossip in light of that? Do you want to care for disadvantaged peoples and, and helpless to not show favoritism? Start with the gospel. You, we, are helpless. We all are. Jesus died and rose again for us precisely because we couldn't do it ourselves. We could never work our way back to God. You're saved by grace, not by who you are, not because of your education or your pedigree, your ethnicity, any of that, or by what you do. The gospel is the ultimate field leveler. It doesn't matter who you are. We're all accepted by God the same way. We're all restored and redeemed in exactly the same way, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done. Do you want to keep from getting polluted by the world? Start with the gospel. 
This is the world, the system of sin and slavery and corruption and death and decay that Jesus died to free us from. We are freed. Now we, we act like it. Read Romans 6. Count yourselves as dead to sin. You're no longer slaves to that. Sin shall no longer be your master. Why would you want to revert back? Why go back to all that Jesus undid by his death and resurrection? Why go back to Egypt, to slavery, to death, in light of the gospel? So we must never forget the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It all has to start there. But what's even better, what makes the good news gooder, as my three-year-old son would say, because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done, God remembers for us. If you look in John's gospel, hours before Jesus is, is, is captured and crucified, he's encouraging his disciples. And how does he do that? In John 14, verse 26, he says, The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Who is the one who brings conviction or encouragement to your heart? The Holy Spirit. Who reminds you every hour of every day of the truth of God? The Holy Spirit, who was sent, who dwells within us, who lives with all of us, who call Jesus our Lord and Savior. Who gives you the power to live the life that you're called to? to remember the word of God, but God himself. It's by God's grace that we remember that we're saved by God's grace. God's doing the heavy lifting for us all the time. And we have to let that in, to work with that, to accept that, to bring that into our minds. There's a very famous passage in the book of Deuteronomy. It's called the Shema. Uh, after the, the Hebrew word in there for, for listen or hear. And you've probably heard it before. Uh, it's in Deuteronomy 6, uh, starting in verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And when the Lord, your God, brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Remember, remember what you believe. Remember what we believe. And the heart of that is the gospel. That's what makes Christianity something different 
It's not just another moral framework, another set of ethics to follow, another thing you have to achieve. We could probably sum up this whole series. I mean, just do it is very catchy, right? But with remember what you believe. Don't forget. Hang on to it. Turn over in your head again and again what God has revealed to you. Let it haunt every moment of your lives. Remember and be blessed. So today as we respond, as the, as the band comes up, let's make a start at that. Let's remember. And practically, this means we, we order our lives around these truths. You're in community with people. You have accountable relationships. People who will remind you of God's word. You regularly read God's word so you can remember what he's said and done. You memorize it, think about it, pray about it. Put post-it notes around your house. Whatever works for you. Leave yourself emails and voicemail messages. Do whatever works, but do it and do what the word says. There's no better way to remember that you're blessed by obeying the word of God than by doing it and being blessed. To experience firsthand the fact that God's word is true. It works. James is right. I'm blessed. When I do these things, when I'm obedient, when I remember, I'm blessed. And finally, as Neil and John and hopefully I have already made clear as we respond, this isn't something we do to secure our salvation. This is our response to our great salvation. It's the evidence that it's taken hold of us. Let's not forget. Let's remember what we believe. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much, God, for your word, for your gracious self-disclosure of who you are, of what you've done, of what you will do. Thank you, God, in your mercy for revealing yourself to us in your plans, and supremely, Lord God, for showing yourself to us through the person of Jesus Christ and what he's done. Thank you for that great salvation that is ours freely by your grace. And Lord, would you impress this on our hearts now and help, this, help us to take hold of this and make it just infect every corner of our lives, God, that we would never forget, we may never forget, Lord God, what you've revealed to us and that we'd respond in a way that expresses true devotion and honor to you uh, who, who is worthy of all our praise and devotion. So thank you, God, for this time and press this on our hearts. Uh, and bless the rest of this service as we respond. In Jesus' name, amen.